This is Strange Assembly episode 102, Creation and Control. I am, as always, Chris Stevenson, and I am joined, as almost always, by Jay Earl. Hello. And Mike Cook. What's going on? And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. As you can probably tell from the title, this is going to be a Netrunner episode. Specifically, we're going to talk about the Creation and Control Deluxe Expansion, because I'm tired of us talking for twice as long as I wanted to edit, and this is a lengthy expansion. We are not going to do our usual card-by-card of Creation and Control, but I think we will go ahead and start with the identities. Uh, Everything in this set is, unless I'm missing something, everything is either neutral or Haas Bioroid or Shaper, So you have three new identities for House Bioroid and three new identities for Shaper. A couple episodes ago, right near the end, when we weren't supposed to be talking about anything but Legend of the Five Rings, uh, I made a reference to not being terribly impressed with uh, a number of the identities. Mike, you seem to think that, oh, well, they were actually pretty universally or almost universally great. Let's sort of uh, start there. On the House Bioroid side, okay, I don't like cerebral imaging infinite frontiers at all the the, cerebral imaging it's interesting but yeah the only thing i could see is that you could actually fairly effectively build up just central forts and uh then just dump down but the problem is the runner's eventually going to get through them but i mean having a hand size of like 20 it's kind of ridiculous and and it's it's unlikely that he's going to hit an agenda yeah, but the runner's already not going to run against HQ all that often anyway, so it's well, not like got, that's a huge thing. Well, when, you, when you've when you got HQ super iced up, and you've got R&D super iced up, and you've only got one other thing that you might have out, I mean, that's how I imagine you play this. You play it as a big central server deck. Oh, yeah, I mean, if you're going to... If you're playing normally, it's just not that big a deal to have more cards in hand. Uh, and you don't always get more cards in hand, right? You have to right. hoard. You have to hoard your money while you're you're building that up. So yeah, if you're going to take advantage of this, I, I feel like you almost have to be. You have to be deliberately trying to hold cards in your hand, which means yeah, you're just you're saying, oh well, because I can have 20 cards in my hand, I can afford to just let agendas build up in my hand. And I don't know. I don't. That just does not really seem like a super exciting plan. Well, not only that, but unless for some bizarre reason you're able to get like melange going for several turns, you probably you can't really guarantee to have giant stacks of bits running around to have this giant hand of cards. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be super giant. Just being up to like twelve or fifteen, which is where a lot of corpse run, especially for HP, and where this deck would really want to run, you'd really only need to be at like twelve to really be still more useful than just a five-card hand. Five is really not that bad. The real bad, uh, the real unfun times is when a uh, criminal breaks through and hacks all of your bits away. And then you lose everything. Well, you've got a turn to recover it, but yeah. Well, yeah, but you're not going to... Your best hope is going to be something like, what, I get back up to five, and then I don't have to just dump 
then I don't have to just dump all of my agendas that I've been holding into the archives. Right. And part of them, especially like right away, you can't. What What are you going to do? Like turn one, you draw up to six, and then you install a couple of cards. You you install your R and D ice. You install your HQ ice. And then if you actually activate them, then you're going to have to discard your hand if you don't spend your entire... <laughs> yeah. You're just very, very constrained in how you do things. Especially since it's not like HB had a bad... Bad start. A, it, a bad identity to, to begin with. It's got a lot of really good options. They're going to have to put something out that would make you want to run this, I think. I don't think yeah, it's I mean, bad, it's just not as good as the other stuff. Right, I mean, that's the thing, is this is, this is a, I've got my really good economy flowing, and I'm getting up an, an extra benefit out of that, whereas I would much rather play the base identity, which helps me get that really good economy flowing. Okay. So then we've got, so we don't get, so we're already getting bogged down, because we're good at that. <laughs> okay, so then let's move on to Custom Biotics Engineered for Success. The the second Haas Bioroid Identity it gives you seven extra influence to play with, but it says that you cannot play with Jinteki cards. So I, I guess the the re-argument for why this is good would be Jinteki mostly stinks. I can't play with Trick of the Light, so I'm not doing fast advance. But hey, now I can Scorched Earth you or just do whatever I feel like. Well, yeah, I, I don't think that Jinteki is really terrible. Some of their ice needs help, but Jinteki is actually finishing in a lot of tournaments. is finishing fairly high. Um, right. I mean, because I, people I, don't know how to play against Jinteki. Yeah, I mean, I actually look at that as a feature, is that they think, oh, you don't have any of the Jinteki traps, I can be much more aggressive, now I can play my Cerebral Overrider and my Aggressive Secretary, and you don't see those coming quite as hard as you do against, say, Jinteki and their traps. Right, you know, I, I definitely do think that this is really... I mean, it's a very flexible deck. 22 points, an extra 7 points of influence lets you do a lot of different things. But you can still be a flatline deck and just be, you know, import a lot of Wayland. Not just Scorched Earth. The team that you take a net damage after every run that you have that was successful, that really starts to chip away. And especially with some of their brain damage options in this set, mm -hmm. I, I think that's really what it's kind of targeted at for this set. But it's a very flexible card. It could go almost any way you want it to go. Yes, brain damage, very much a, a thing here. But I, yeah, I mean, like, like ultimately, the, I mean, I guess it's kind of obvious, but custom biotics is basically just what you're getting out of it is you're building a deck that lets you import more Wayland and NBN. So it's as good as how much are the last seven points of an extra seven points of Wayland and NBN import. Yeah. That's how good the deck's going to be. I just... It's not that there isn't anything there, but that's not super impressive. Now, I... And then, okay, then the last HP identity is next design, guarding the net. Guarding the net. This lets you install three pieces of ice out of your opening hand and then draw back up to five. Well, no more than one piece of ice per server. I guess your ideal here is you have at least have the opening hand that you want. You know, you got two cheap pieces of ice to put one in front of HQ, to put one in front of R&D, and hey, maybe you get lucky and you can put one in front of a remote server or archives. And so that saves you potentially five clicks, potentially six. Yeah, four to six. 
Yeah. Ideally. Well, and it also, uh, the, the other thing is, um, once you drop those down, you're free to do whatever you want with the rest of those clicks. So, uh, you know, if, you, if you're up against noise and you feel like you have to drop all three, you can still then, on your turn, actually, during your actual turn, priority wreck to get up to nine and then take maybe a couple bits to get up to 11. And now you can activate much scarier ice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, even without thinking about a specific runner, you, you can say, well, now, yeah, now I, I used to have to think in terms of, okay, I have to be able to install these two and then I can only take one bit. So it has to be really cheap ice. This one, yeah, you can say, well, I don't have to take the clicks to install. So I know at a minimum I can, I can grab three bits. And so I could activate a five and a three. But then, then you then start having to have, I imagine, some pretty intensive analysis of that versus the existing HB one, which already gives you one free click on turn one when you put down the ice in the first place. If you have a hand with only two pieces of ice, you're really just talking about, as compared to the standard HB identity or the, the core set hb identity you're just getting three an extra well you're getting you, yeah you, you get two extra draws and and a bit and you get it right away you're, you're sort of front loading your benefits so that's the one i like the best but uh, out of those but i i, I mean cerebral imaging i would be i guess i wouldn't be surprised if that goes somewhere but that's very you know narrow sort of thing and i, I don't yeah. know so I think Cerebral, it's going to need something that would make you want to play it, which I'm not sure you're going to get. I think the the other one, the the one that gives you more influence, it is going to be the Custom Biotics. It's really going to be, uh, just like the Professor, it's only going to get better over time. You're only going to get yeah. more options that you can do with it. Um, as far as this one, I think this is your speedrunning deck, and that's what I've been doing. When I built my decks using the new sets, I was like, you know what? Let me see what kind of pure speed I can get. And honestly, getting three actions at the beginning of the game for an already really fast deck can be very scary. You just run a lot of small to mid-range ice, and you're just off the ground so fast. It can be really hard to deal with. But I think that's the main strength of this identity, is that really big, fast start. It's just like Andy and Corp. I feel like it's very analogous there. And it does come at a cost of you only get 12 influence, but if you're doing fast events, there's only so much stuff you're probably going to import anyways. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the Professor, so let's pop over to the Shaper identities. One of them is the Professor Keeper of Knowledge. He only gets one influence, but the first copy of each program that you import doesn't count against your influence limit. So you can grab whatever you think the best icebreaker Sweet is, or at least one of each. Yeah, the professor is pretty much going to play the toolbox plan of I'm not going to put in my deck the generically probably best icebreaker. I'm going to have all of the best icebreakers, and I'm going to decide, oh, for this specific ice I'm seeing, I need this one to break through it. He's only going to get better with time. I think he's okay. He's You just have better options at this point. Uh, yeah, right now, I can probably, if we're talking about just one copy per program, I can probably 
get whatever it is that I want, like anything, exactly everything I want out of the other runners if I'm willing to dedicate 14 influence to it and I'm not allowed to take more than one of the same card, which is basically what the professor is is doing. And out of another deck, I can get all those programs and I can still get some other ability out of my identity. Yeah, well, I, I still think he's going to be better as you go over time. I think he's rapidly going to improve, especially as we move into this next set of uh, cards. Uh, the other thing is, especially out of this set, because it's hard to have... You have to look at them at the frame of reference of this set. The Shaper's got so many tools to be able to cycle what programs they have installed that that really does make him a very viable deck. He's just gonna... He, he's still not the best, but he's he's viable. I don't know. Uh... Uh, they've already got two really good ones before this set. Then in this set, I think the sort of obvious good one is is Kit. Uh, the first piece of ice you encounter each turn gives Code Gate, and then she only gets ten influence. So yeah, but Yogs only one. Yeah, so, so, so that yeah, so so you use a couple of that influence for your Yogs. Uh, no, no, you don't use Yog with her. You use Cyber Cipher. In my personal opinion, because I tried using Yogg, and you run into problems real fast, because you can't boost Yogg. So, there's a lot of ice that goes over five, and all of a sudden, you start hitting things that smack you in the face. Yeah, it it still seems like Yogg should be in that deck somewhere. Yes. I I think she's better off with cycling cyber ciphers. You just slap it to where you need to be with all the stuff that they got out of the set. Just for my from my own playing experience, because she's the deck that I built, and I tried building her with Yogg, and I just kept running into brick walls I couldn't get past. Well, I mean, I don't think you can build with Yogg in a, oh, I'm going to use Yogg to get past everything sort of way, but I... No, I, mean, I, I, the, I wasn't using it that way. I, I, I know, but I, I, I mean, I don't... See, I think you can, because Shaper have all, a lot of the boosting power you drop Yogg, you give it your personal touch or two, maybe make Yogasaurus. Well, no, I mean, everything. I, I was using Yogasaurus, but even with a personal touch, it's still... Well, I actually wasn't running personal touch, but you still have to get other icebreakers in, because they're going to start stacking their servers once they see who you're playing. Well, yeah, they're, they're also going to put their strong stuff on the outside that she her, her uh, ability gives you no benefit at that point, if you're trying to just use Yogg. Yeah, there's, there's certainly plenty of ways to play around it. I'm the uh, okay, I'll throw my pop-up window on the outside. Congratulations. Right. I <laughs> Well, and I mean I, I think that's also she probably wants to use Escher so that she has more control over that type of stuff. But I still think Cyber Cipher is the better bet with her. I mean, Yog Yog could fit in, but with only 10 influence, she's got to make those choices and those get to get those get pretty hard. Those choices get pretty hard. Um the last of the 3 Runner Identities is Exile, Street Hawk, who gets a link, and whenever you install the program from your heap, draw one card. So this guy is, again, very much a build-around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but with the with this set, he's not bad. He's not super great, but he's not bad. It, his ability feels really weird. It feels like he really want some way that he himself would just be able to uh, install from your heap. 
Uh, the extra card from pulling from your heap is it's okay. Yeah, I'm not impressed by him. I mean, he's one of the. That's one of the. Really, when I look at the identities, and I, I kind of feel that there are at least three out of the six that I would just not want to make a deck with right now. And it's probably good. You can't just. They shouldn't just be making a bunch of generically powerful. So, it's it's a good thing in the long run that you're getting narrow sorts of identities like exile, like like cerebral imaging. You know, different possible weird things that people could do rather than just a bunch of power curb smashing uh, you know just generically useful stuff okay so those are the identities so what we're just going to do now is kind of go around pick a card or a concept that you think that there's uh, something interesting to to say about and then uh, we'll the rest of us will say if we have anything and then uh you know, we'll stop when I decide I'm tired of talking. <laughs> okay, well, that's we'll not stop. true, or else we're never going to stop. Well, yes. Okay, so, you know what? My my favorite card in this set is Howler. And the reason why it is the favorite, my favorite card in the set is because, because the flavor text is a reminder about the rules. And I think that that is fantastic. <laughs> you, you basically get rid of the Howler, and you get to put in a new piece of ice that they would then run into. Well, Bioroid ice from HQ or archives. Yes, yeah, but, but yeah, but, but you're, you're taking a, a new, you're taking a piece of ice from off the board, either, either from your hand or from your discard pile, you're putting it in, and then, and it brings them in and it reses it. So the sort of thing you're immediately thinking is, ah, now I'm going to force them to smash into it. But you don't really get to force them to smash into it because they can jack out. And I bet that people kept forgetting that when they were playtesting. And so the flavor text on Howler is, quote, yeah, it made a loud noise, I got scared, and I jacked out. I still think I made the right decision. I think that's great. It's using flavor text to remind people that you can jack out after this card gets used. And I think that's right. fantastic. Right. You don't actually have to encounter the Janus that's right behind this that I just dropped in your way. So, that's my card. What do you got, Jay? I'm going to pick one of the neutral cards, the Gila Hands Arcology. It's a three, one-point agenda that costs three to score. And once you have it, two clicks to gain three bits. I think that's going to go in every corp deck. Not only because it's a, a small agenda, which makes it easy to fit in, but just once you do score it, that makes your economy for the rest of the game, pretty much. I, I would not agree with that assessment. I think it's good, but I think it's better in fast advance type decks. I don't think your big decks are going to run it, just for the simple fact of it's going to increase your agendas in your deck. Mm -hmm. Because no, nobody but fast advance can score it in a turn. And you're really only getting a bit and a half for every action, which is not super efficient. If it was if it was click click gain five, then it would it be stupid. It would be really stupid, right? Or even if it was click click gain four. Yeah. But click click gain three is uh, to me that's just on that marginal. You're only getting so much faster in your economy, and you're having it's, to use two clicks to do it. You're having to use two clicks to do it, yes, but it's significantly better than 
nothing no other economy it's once you scored it's economy the runner can't do anything about and unlike melange it doesn't take your entire turn so you can still do something else in addition to recovering money eh <laughs> fair enough okay mike if it's okay i've just i've got two cards that i would pick uh, one for each side that are probably the biggest thing. Number one for me is Director Haas. She is just amazing. Like, uh, she will win you games and potentially lose you games all by herself. But I think she will definitely be a huge game changer. Just being able to flip her up and being able to melange and then do something else. Uh, oh, yeah. And the fact that she's five influence. I know, that five influence. I'm seriously trying to figure out how to squeeze that into my NBN deck. Because she makes it so that if you run mostly three- or two-point agendas, you never have the agendas touch the ground for longer than it takes to score them. Oh, almost ever. Right. Um, especially if you score, you know, you use her with biotic labor or something like that. Right. On the other hand, Imp makes you cry. Yeah, but they have to actually see her in the deck. It's still a low enough chance. I mean, there's only one one or two runners are even going to run Imp, and her five trash cost protects her fairly well. It does, uh, yes. I, I've had things where uh, people have come at her, and then I realized it was going to take them so many bits to get to her, it didn't matter that they couldn't score that turn. So it just it saved me economy on ice and wasted actions and uh, bits for them. Yeah, you know, she's, she's obviously good and seems best in a fast advanced deck. Because, the, I mean, well, I guess she requires you to, she requires you to build one real outer server, right? Right. But once you build that outer server, you kind of want to just leave her there forever. You don't, you don't want to replace her with a real agenda. But I have lost a game to her. I've lost a game to someone getting through that server and getting to her and getting the last two points. Yeah, it it gives them. So so you've got her in the one server. You ideally want to keep her running for the entire game so you can constantly get that click, which works out best with fast advance, which, like you noted, is easier to do because then you can just keep using your exterior server to just install advance, 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 score. And then at fast advance also, I don't know, maybe it's harder to do this because you have to have one real server, but, you know, then you, I mean, you've got to then load up on R&D because... Of course, in addition to the fact that obviously they can just score her when she's out, if you're putting her into your deck, right, that's one of the, there's a reason why the corp has rules <laughs> that require them to run a certain number of agendas, and it's so the runner actually has a chance of snaking them out of R&D or out of your hand, and once you've got Director Haas in there, that's just another little, st- that's a little statistical bump in favor of the runner you know, having another agenda that they can can yank. Yeah, and right, two agenda it, points it, it isn't, you know, it's not inconsiderable, but then again, it five is enough of a, considerable enough of a cost that it, it, to me, counterbalances that threat. Right, it's an agenda that's always protected by red herring. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, but it's, I'm still, you know, as long as I've got the five, I'm still going to be ecstatic that I hit her. Yes. Well, right. I mean, it, it, that is the downside. So, I mean, I feel like she's a a pretty well balanced card. Yeah. Um, I, I I think that she can actually go in 
almost any HB deck that you want to put her in, but she's only going to go in fast advance anywhere else. Oh, yeah, at that cost. Oh, no, God. no one else. That's, gonna... Yeah. Man, you better really want her at that influence cost. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you're never going to want more than two of her anyways because she's unique, but yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, Mike, now, see, so you, you were going to identify one... Uh, you thought was the the a good card that you wanted to highlight for each side. So let me guess: for the shapers, you're going to highlight Inti. No, <laughs> I am going to highlight Scavenge. Scavenge is a game changer. Scavenge will probably be the biggest thing out of it. I mean, maybe Clone Control Chip, but really, Scavenge is it's huge, especially for the runners in uh, this set. But just generally, it's such a strong action, especially when you com- combine it with Cyber Cipher, with, um, oh God, what's your name? Uh, with Femme Fatale, you combine it with Test Run. Uh, there's so many dumb things you can do with this card. It- it's really, really good. Test Run Scavenge, that's a, that's a, that's a nice combo there, huh? Yep. You can run it in Andy and actually do your actions for stuff and dump two or three uh, things you don't want. Test run into something else, scavenge whatever you actually need. I just it's, there, there's so many things you can do with this card, and even even if you're not doing weird janky things, if you just figure out, hey, you know what, my Yog's not doing anything for me because he's not running code gates. I'll change. I'll use that five and change it into like, you know, pay two or three more and actually get something that is going to be relevant. Okay, uh, what I'll I'll go to not not so much a specific card as a a category of card, and I want to ask you how many of these have any real chance of being a good in a deck. The, the runners in this have a number of cheap cards, mostly programs that are little bit generators. Effectively, you've got cloak, which generates a recurring credit to use icebreakers. You've got Parisha. That generates two recurring, that's free and generates two recurring credits to trash assets. You've got Ice Analyzer that gives you an extra credit every time the, uh, the corp raises a piece of ice. And I guess you've got Sahasrara, or however you pronounce that, uh, that gives you two recurring credits only for I- installing programs. Which, if any of those, do you think have the chops to make it in maybe cloak i think they all do in the right deck i mean i I think the problem is other than the ice analyzer since they are all programs they're eating up your ram most of decks ram is relatively tight so i i think cloak well specifically cloak is going to get run because dagger is amazing dagger Mm. is really really good dagger is dagger is only good if you have cloak out though right well, no, I mean, no, remember, it is also running out of the faction that can actually boost it, or you can run it in, uh, I mean, I don't know if you really run it anywhere else, but you could run it in an ice reduction deck, and it becomes really, really, uh, potentially way more efficient. Just because it has one break century subroutine, and there's just not very many of those cards. Um, you mean, you can even install it on Dinosaurus, and it starts as a three. Two. Oh, yeah, that's your two. But I, I still think, I mean, and it's not like cloak has to be used for dagger. But but dagger needs cloak. Right, for now. Well, yeah, yeah, but you know, it's a it's a cute little name thing, cloak and dagger. But I would really 
be unenthused about. I guess I mean Shaper's got tutors, but I'd be I don't know. I'm not really enthused about the notion of an icebreaker that I have to pull a separate program for. And that's that's really the thing. Like I would like Parisha if that wasn't a program, like if that was just a resource, I think that would be really nifty. It, well, that's it, why it's it free, is, isn't it? No, it's a program. Oh, but but no, no, it is, but it's over on uh, Anarchs, right? Oh, well, uh, well, no, but but that's the thing is it costs you memory instead of bits, right? Although that one technically is also more flexible because it's just to trash, and this is specifically to trash assets. Although there's really not much difference. Yeah, and yeah, and like Jay said, yeah, Ice Analyzer is the one that does not suck up RAM, but it also is one that needs to come down right away to be sexy. Right. I mean, I'd, I'd much rather pay the extra for the uh, what is what is the name of the criminal card that does something similar? Oh, for um, compromised employee. Thank you. Yes, I'd much rather pay a little extra for the compromised employee than use the ice analyzer. I think in corp, I think corp, sorry, crim, I think criminal uses both, and then their economy game uh, gets even worse, or better for them. Well, I'm sure that we'll be able to use all of these programs all at once because we'll all be playing with Monolith all over the place. And that. <laughs> okay, so. Jay, it was. What do you got, Jay? I think I'm gonna go for the Black Lotus. I mean, self-modifying code. Probably just because it, uh, the flavor text. Since you're pointing out flavor text, talks about filling up with cat videos. Who doesn't like cat videos? Slash, deck search tutoring. <laughs> uh cat videos. Well, see now I feel like we should go back to the corp because we just keep hitting up the. Uh, the runner side. Okay, give me another corp card, Mike, because we're almost out of time. Another corp card. Actually, I will just say generally, um, the ice is going to help corp a lot. And not just the neutral ice, even the uh, specific ice. All of the 2.0s, uh, but especially, oh gosh, what am I thinking of? The really big one. Heimdall? Yeah, Heimdall 2.0 is real nasty. Yeah, a beast. Heimdall 2.0 has won me games, just because I was running the new agenda that says every time you take a net damage, uh, every time you take a brain damage, take a net damage. And I had two of those scored, and somebody ran into this with, like, an almost full hand and lost, because you couldn't (laughs) break it. You need those clicks. It's a fairly specific example, but most of the 2.0s are really, really good. And just, if nothing else, the, uh, what is it, Barrier? Well, Bastion. The 4 for 4 for a barrier, there's so much good mid-range ice in this now. I I feel like decks overall, the corp decks overall, are just going to get better from the set. And barrier, in particular, is a neutral as well. Yep. Or you can play with data pike, because what you needed was more code gates that can get eaten by Yogg. (laughs) You know, it's sad, too, because this is not a bad code gate. No, that's why... I, I really think that out of you know what there's there's probably something realistically that's that's more important. But I, if I could pick one random not random, if I could pick one card out of Netrunner so far and say, don't do that. It'd be Yogg just because of the weird way it really messes with yeah, it's badly all the cheap code gates. Well, I mean, all you even really need to do is just add a cost to it, and I'd be okay with it. Well, yeah, yeah. then you you because you've got that. Oh, which is it the 
The mimic. Century Breaker, right? Mimic. Yeah, Mimic. Or even uh, Morningstar. Yeah. Morningstar is uh, in way, it's actually better than Mimic. I mean, it costs you a lot, and it's a good bit of memory, but it's like base strength 5 or 6, and 1 breaks all uh, subroutines, all barrier oh, subroutines. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's really, di- that's really efficient, but it's still costing you something. My problem with Yogg is it doesn't cost you anything. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you don't feel like, well, at least I'm yeah, making them use up some sort of resources. Okay, let's uh, I'll do a host prerogative to do one last question. Professional contacts and or stupid button. I am honestly having that debate right now with my noise deck, and I have not been able to make a decision. For a runner? Yes. I, with- I think it... It really well, unless depends. you could figure out how to put it in your corp deck. I mean. Well, no, 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 but, but stupid button is also what I call... Um, melange. Melange. Oh, oh, yeah, no, no, I meant the magnum opus. Yeah, magnum opus. I, I think it really depends if you really want cards, if it's... Uh, uh, something like the criminal deck might actually really like professional contacts, just because sometimes memory is not always the, you know, most available thing in melange... I mean, uh... Magnum Opus getting two is it's it's a good bit of memory. So it frees that up. That frees that up. And Corp God, criminal tend to run more event heavy decks, which means they tend to need to replace their hand faster. And especially against uh against Gentechi decks, they have a really hard time, or at least Andy when I was playing Andy, I had a really hard time against the uh a Jintaki deck, just because it kept emptying my hand, and my hand tended to naturally empty anyways. I think it really just matters what you want to do with it. Yeah, I'm, I am kind of inclined, I guess, I, I, I feel like Professional Contacts is the one that I like better now, because you spend turns generating credits, and you spend turns drawing cards too, and it's just fine to do both of them, and it's and it's worth not having the the memory cost, and the partially the downside of professional context of nothing else is well I mean if you if you are playing a deck that tags you, they can shred it, and professional context is something that you uh, are going to need to spread out. You can't get as much benefit by just pushing the button over and over and over again, which is I think really what you miss. With, right, I can't shoot with, up eight on my turn. Yes, you you can't or you you can't take magnum you you can't drop magnum opus and over the course of like one turn you can first drop magnum opus, gain all your credits back and then over the next several turns just push the button ten times and set yourself and then it's not that big a deal if you need to trash it to make room for icebreakers because it it did its job of generating a ton of economy but. There's some other sides to that. You don't have to worry about... You can actually throw this down early and not have to worry about running into an Ichi or running into a Roto turret, and then all of a sudden your economy is gone. Right. Um, I think you play Professional Context. It's, it's just a different deck than you do with Magnum Opus. Professional Context, by its nature, you're probably going to have more events than you would with a Magnum Opus. It's going to be a more fluid deck than with Magnum Opus, typically. Yes. And, I mean, generally speaking, uh, another advantage of Magnum Opus is there is quite a bit now of program search. There's not any resource search. Well, there's only one that can get it, though, right? 
I thought Test Run's the only thing that can go get Magnum Opus right now. Self-modifying code, pretty sure can get it. Well, true, but then you are paying seven for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can use self-modifying code, but self-modifying code is much better used for, I ran into this piece of ice, oh, I need this type of breaker now. Well, sure, just the same as uh, Test Run is better for, I need to get past this specific piece of ice now. Where's Femme Fatale? <laughs> yeah, or from, with, yeah. <laughs> Well, right, but, but self-modifying code actually makes you pay more for it, and you don't get the two or three turns of actually clicking to actually get the money for it. Well, I mean, you can do it. I just, and I think it is an advantage that it can be searched up at all versus professional contacts. Because right. professional contacts, you can't. There's nothing you can do to fish it up. Yeah. Well, and I guess that by that, if you're playing the search, you could do something like have one magnum opus in there, and then professional. I mean, you could have both, and then. You can tutor up the magnum opus, or I don't know if you bother playing them both out. But heck, if you throw them both out there, then you can you have your choice. You're playing Jinteki, you can hit professional contacts more. Your hands full, you can just load up on magnum opus. I guess it's a it's what we go to a first world problem. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. Well, uh, yeah, it's just you know it's a a deck design problem. Yeah, you know, which way are you going? Because this works pretty well with. Ah, oh, God, what is the the one that makes you ditch cards out of your hand to get you a lot of money? Freelance coding contract. It works quite well with that. I'll say, yeah, if we're not careful, we're, uh... Talking about all the cards? We have gone through all the cards again, so... I think we're going to be done, and that pretty much means we're done. Because I have the record button over here. Okay, so... We have been talking about Creation and Control, the first deluxe expansion for Android Netrunner from Fantasy Flight Games. You have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. I am Chris Stevenson, and for Mike Cook and Jay Earl, I'll say that we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at strangeassembly.com, so I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. You can also hop onto our website and uh, leave us a comment, give us a piece of your mind on uh, why we don't know what we're talking about and so forth on the the post that has this episode in it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Strange Assembly to get updates when we have something new on the website or come chat on Facebook where we're also Strange Assembly. Until then, I'll let Jay continue to say semi-not-really-funny-things about Netrunner to close out these episodes. Time to go fill up my computer with cat videos.